Hi. Hi. I'm a runner. No, you're not. I'm a runner now. You're not. I I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So here's the thing. 2020. Yep. Oh, just calamitously bullshit year, right? Yep. And um, got lots on at the moment and I think – if I look back over the course of my exercising life, which mm-hmm. is very, very sporadic. I didn't know there was one. But exactly, exactly. But I realise I really only ever start doing exercise when I'm feeling like just that. I feel like. <laughs> Unfit. Uh, all of those things. But also just, I've, as I get older, I realise that it is actually true that exercise is a mental health issue. Like yes. you just feel better. And so when the walls start closing in, I think, oh my God, I can't get out of bed. I think, right, okay, I've got to take this in hand. So anyway, my sister-in-law, when I uh, had lunch with um, my family a week or two ago, um, said she was doing this app called um, Couch to 5K. Mm -hmm. I've heard of it. Have you? Right. I I never heard of it because why would I? (laughs) Anyway, and it just, you know, you step outside and this terrible GPS voice tells you to walk and then to run or whatever. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so it has everything that I l- like about exercise, which I generally loathe, which is somebody telling me what to do. Because oh, yeah. if you leave it up to me, I just won't do anything. Right. I'll say, yeah, I'm going to exercise and then I'll just eat a box of cheesels. Like, but this kind of woman uh, tells you what to do. And I've figured out it, when I've been running before in a sort of lame attempt to try and, you know, um, introduce a bit of fitness to my life, I would like head out the door, start running, feel puffed out immediately, be a bit cross and then, you know, hate it. And what this kind of program thing is, is you sort of start off by walking for five minutes and then you run for like, I don't know, a minute and then you walk for a minute and then, you know, so, right. and then as you go along, it kind of makes you run a bit more. Right. So right. you don't really ever feel kind of resentful. Right. So um, I have surprised myself by actually not hating it. Wow. Are you at the end of it? Like are you doing the 5Ks? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but like so this morning I did like, I don't know, 3Ks. Or oh, good on you. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well done you. Um, yeah. I did a – I hate running. Um, I did it when I lived in the US. Um, my then husband and my very good friend Lisa Miller were in, madly into running. And they were training for this race called the Cherry Blossom 10-Miler, which um, is a well-known running race in Washington, D.C., along the sort of tidal base and blah, blah, blah. Um, And it's so popular for people to do. You have to sort of, you know, go into a ballot to be allowed to run in it. God, that's just a ballot. I would never enter. But anyway. Anyway, they really want to do it. So 10 miles is about 16 Ks. Um, And so I decided, all right, I'll do that with you guys and I'm going to train and I'm going to get my running fitness to a degree that it's – my dislike of running isn't to do with a fitness thing. And so I will commit to doing this training and I'll do this race. And then at the end of that, I'll know if I actually like running or not. I never ran again after I finished it. (laughs) Um, I hated it. I hated the training. Um, I forced myself to do it, but I just hated it. And I never got, Phil and Lisa would get this sense of achievement at the end of doing a long race, Yeah, right. which I never felt. I just felt, I always just felt like, well, thank Christ, that's over. Yeah, um, right. So, yeah, I just, I'm not a runner. I just, I don't like it. I love walking and I do actually like exercise and I do exercise quite a lot, but it's all about, I don't particularly enjoy exercise. I, I notice the absence of it when I don't do yeah, it, yeah. but um, I just do it to facilitate my eating. Yeah, right. That's the only reason I do it <laughs> is so that I feel like I can eat with impunity. Speaking of which, um, 
I have been watching a show called Chef's Table Barbecue. You know, oh. Chef's Table that we like, that you yeah. introduced me to, yeah. which is a show about um, it profiles sort of famous restaurants around the world. There's a whole season about the art of barbecue. And if you know, wow. uh, do you know anyone who's massively into barbecue? Um, I'm sure I do, but I mean, because I don't eat meat, I guess I'm probably a bit oh, less. Oh, yeah. Okay. Know. So my friend Nick is an amazing barbecuer. Oh. In fact, I went around there for dinner last Friday night and he did three types of different meat and it was just obscenely good. Right, so like medieval feasts. I was style. thinking about it for days. It's just like. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you mean? Well, like a turducken or something? No, no, he no. did like a, a beef pork. brisket. Be- oh, right, okay. Um, and then he did these this pork belly sort of barbecued thing and then at one point he said, just don't look at this, and but I did. It, he then put just the most criminal amount of butter on it and then brown sugar and then he put it back in to sort of caramelise and, oh, it was just wow, so good, and that was dessert. <laughs> and then there was some ribs as well with some sort of oh sauce gosh. on them. It was it was so good. Anyway, he put me onto this chef's table barbecue. Um, the first episode is this eighty-five-year-old woman who it's called Snow's Barbecue in Texas is considered the best barbecue in Texas. People line up from eight a.m. on the weekend to get the stuff, and she is there from one a.m. She works as a, like a janitor during the week and then on the weekend she comes and works at Snow's Barbecue and she's out the back shoveling coals in and it's all this sort of precision around people that are into it. It's like what wood are you using and how much fire are you using and it's just all this sort of art to it. Oh, my um, God. And, you know, and then obviously the kind of meat and it's all – she's been doing it so long too she's like just going based on feel like she just puts her hand on top of the meat and like yep that's good and then anyway so she was really amazing and it just made me want to do a road trip through texas so bad to just have barbecue somewhere different every day and then um episode two is an australian restaurant in sydney called fire door oh i have been there have you yeah i have okay what's it like absolutely spectacular he even barbecues the lettuce Wow, I don't think I had barbecue lettuce. They had got really bre- good bread as well, but I had seafood. You know, okay, I had, right. Um, and, and was it amazing? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I really want to eat there now. He, his name's Lennox Hasty. Um, so he only cooks with fire. There's no gas, there's no electricity, yeah. it's all fire. Um, and so I was sort of thinking like, imagine being married to him, like, honey, could you cook some ste- steaks for the kids' dinner? Sure. Or did you disconnect the electricity and the gas like I asked you to? <laughs> Like, I'm just getting this fire started. Dinner will be ready in 18 hours. <laughs> I, just, I mean, you've got to be hellishly organised to do that. Sort oh, of my God. I, it, and I, I don't know how you get – I mean, watching him, like all these guys who are in Chef's Table, there's a crazy intensity around them. Like, they're so intense and focused and driven. That's why I wanted to go to that place yeah. in New York that that guy ran. With the Blue Hill, carrot, yeah. Where I could have the carrot and the apple because um, that guy was just – fascinating um they're all like the Paul Keatings of food oh absolutely (laughs) they're all like really intense and focused and like amazing from a distance only fire but you wouldn't want to live with them (laughs) um anyway sure you're lovely though though, mate he was incredible uh I thought he was amazing anyway so it was his sort of story about how he learned how to cook with fire which was in this remote village in Spain and then he decided to come back to Australia and and it's also that they have again like that dude that I'm obsessed with in Tokyo Hero you know Lennox Hastie's got his dude who grows the vegetables and he's got his yeah. seafood dude and, like, these people that are all just elite in their sort of specialty. Yeah, he wouldn't recognise on the street where, like, there goes Australia's top prawn handler. Yeah, that's yeah. right, exactly. So, yeah, I just am loving that and finding it really fascinating. 
I've just been loving this week seeing all of the, I don't know, just the explosion of people being released in Melbourne. <laughs> just, oh, yeah. It's been, yeah. Well, this pod won't be out for another month, so it'll be, they'll be used to eating their smashed avo and toast by then. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know, if you were like, if you were going somewhere for the first time in months and months, I think I'd get options paralysis. Oh, yeah. It's also, it makes you realise how much you take for granted. Like when the um, Sydney lockdown ended in May, so um, Nick, my friend that I was talking about before, we often, because um, our kids are at the same school, we'll have a coffee after school drop. And so we decided after lockdown, like, oh, my God, we can go for a coffee. Let's actually get, like, breakfast. And so I got, like, you know, mushrooms on toast. He had corn fritters or whatever. And it was, like, it felt like luxury. Yeah. It was like, oh, my God, this is such luxury and I can't believe we can just do this all the time and don't give it a great deal of thought. It was amazing. So that's what—that's the joy everyone in Melbourne would be having at the moment. Yeah. Very good. Mm. Hey, have you looked at Hedy McKinnon's new book yet? Oh, my God, I sure have. Yeah. Um, so I've been looking forward to it it's for ages because she's been she um, posting little bits and things on her Instagram and it basically is my dream cookbook from yeah. her it's um it's called to asia with love so it's got all of the sort of standard hetty mckinnon you know design requirements of being meat free which i love yep um but it's all asian recipes and like very heavy on the noodle which i completely goddamn adore it's just every single dish I look at and think, well, I absolutely want to eat that. Mm, okay. And she's got some like useful, really useful innovations like there's um, a section on dumplings by the season. So she gives oh, you a yeah. recipe for dumpling wrappers, different ways to cook them like pop sti pot stickers, steaming and whatever, how to fold them. And then she's got a, basically a dozen different fillings depending on what season you're in. So <sighs> spring is like, oh, have you tried asparagus, mint and feta or zucchini, pesto and goat's cheese? Mm. autumn carrot kimchi and feta like kind of interesting combinations anyway it just made me want to kiss her all over and um <laughs> there's also like there's different different dumplings i've already made one thing quite randomly from it which is her recipe for um mushroom and kimchi sausage rolls yes yeah. yeah because as a non-meat eater geez i miss the sausage roll i really do and so oh, yeah um, right and these are absolutely superb you know i like I... how she's gone like she's she's a bit kind of um in traditional asian but then she's a bit like absolute junkyard aussie with it as well <laughs> like so she's got um a recipe for vegemite noodles oh buttery miso vegemite noodles now oh. the second you think of that you think actually that's so crazy it just might work and um also, there's one for cold peanut butter green tea noodles with cucumber, which... Do you know the recipe that I just accidentally opened the book mm. to? Um, condensed milk French toast. Yeah. Yes, hello. Please. Yep, exactly. I'm do some exercise today so if it's a I'm going to make that. It's a bit depression era cooking. It's a bit, you know, it's just a bit excellent. She's so good. Also, there's a recipe for something called everything oil, which I'm going to make this weekend, which is just this sort of um, chili-ish oil mm. with lots of sort of, um, it's got, I think, um, from what I recall, you know, star anise and cinnamon, that sort of stuff in it. So it's got that slight kind of fur kind of edge. Ooh. And um, you make the oil and then you can just tip it over everything. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, hey, so um, good. I've got a few clangs. Oh, God. Did you see me uh, doing a number with Jimmy Bonds? No, sorry, I think I was busy that year. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did see you. So he's got a new book out called Killing Time. 
He's a lovely writer. I'd, I'd not read either of his other two books, which have been insanely successful. They have, and I think they've been successful for a reason. Like, I think they're really good. I haven't read them yeah. either. He, so he had Working Class Boy and then Working Class Man, and then this new book's called Killing Time. And the premise is basically when you're a um, touring musician on the road, you just have a lot of time to kill because you're travelling all the time, yeah. you're sitting around waiting for gigs and stuff. And so he just talks about things that he's done, you know, oh. filling in his time. Like what? Um, oh, just, you know, Macrame. places he's been and he's he's a foodie, so it's restaurants that he's eaten meals in and memorable meals. And But he's just got a beautiful um, storytelling ability, I think, yeah. and it's just a series of little sort of stories. I really enjoyed it. And then I really, I'd never met him before or his wife Jane and we went to do an interview with him in a big warehouse in um, near the airport in Sydney and... Yeah, it was just great. And there was so there was a big grand piano there. And I had sort of Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'd thought And you're like, Oh, Jimmy, I accidentally <laughs> booked this shoot location with a giant grand piano. No, I'd actually thought I'm not gonna play the piano with Jimmy Barnes because I'm just too massively outclassed. Anyway, his wife came downstairs. He asked, Can I get he said, Can I go get Jane to meet you? She's a fan. And I said, sure. So Jane came downstairs and then she said, um, let's do a song because they've been doing these amazing Instagram uh, and Twitter right, videos yeah. of themselves singing in lockdown. Jane's taught herself to play the guitar. Um, and I said, will you, you and D Jimmy do a song? And she said, do you play anything? And I said, oh, a bit of piano. And she goes, well, you do one. And I said, oh, I'm not playing with Jimmy. And she said, um, oh, come on, I can hardly play the guitar and I play with Jimmy all the time. So I said... Well, you know, I don't know. What do we What do we want to do? And Jimmy said, "I'll do anything." And I said, "Well, what about a Beatles song?" And he goes, "Sure." And I said, "Well, what song?" And he went, "Just any song." <laughs> so then I said, "Yeah, but like, what key?" He said, "Any key." And at which point I thought, "Well, clearly I'm not getting out of this." <laughs> so I just sat down and started playing something, um, which is a song off Abbey Road. And do you know what? Because it just happened spontaneously, there was no time to be sort of nervous or overthink it. So it was actually just fun and enjoyable. Whereas if you'd said to me that morning, you're going to yeah. have to do a song later today with Jimmy Barnes, I just would have had diarrhea all day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was that it actually just was lovely. Um, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And they were just so delightful. And it was just one of those moments where I thought, oh my God, this is just, how privileged am I to just get to sit here and listen to Jimmy Barnes sing a song while I play along? It was just, just And he pretends ridiculous. that you, you're really great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got to interview Kylie Minogue last night. Ah! Which was great too. Didn't do any singing with her, but I tell you what, I'm going to have some Kylie earworms. Because when we were going yeah, through right. the archive, picking out, um, you know, bits and pieces of Kylie to use in the in the um, cut interview. Oh my God, just so many bangers yeah. in her back catalogue. So what's has she got a book or what, what's oh, going on? Oh, she's got a new album. Or did she just drop Disco. in because she wanted to catch up with you? Like a, <laughs> I wish it would been in person actually. Um, like a lot of musicians, she's done an album in lockdown. She used her time productively, so she's done oh an album God. called Disco. Um, and yeah, it was just really nice talking to her. What's the album like? Um, I've only listened to one track off it. It's not out yet, um, oh. so I've only listened to one track and I thought it was a banger. It's called Say Something, the track that I listened to. Um, so, yeah, Kylie, it was interesting because she said we were talking about how her fans have been with her from Neighbours, you know, like pe there's people that right, have, yeah. you know, followed her from teenagers and that are now sort of our age. She's in her early 50s. And um, she was saying, she was reflecting about it, saying how that was really moving. And she said, oh, I just never really know, you know, how people think of how I've grown or whatever. And I said to her, tell me if this is true. I said, I think people would look at Kylie. I said, I think people would look at you and go, 
and feel pride and feel happy like that you would for if a, one of your favourite friends or a member of your family if good things were happening to them. Don't you think people are very affectionate about yeah, Kylie? Yeah, totally. I think she yeah. occupies quite a unique place in Australian culture. Well, she's got that kind of have-a-go hero kind of thing, right? Like she's a bit of master of reinvention but also a bit private but also, yeah, I don't know. Like she's, she's also, I was thinking about her thinking, she's just been in the making people happy business for 30 years. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything she does, you just hear her songs and it makes you feel happy and she's just so adorable and she doesn't seem up herself and you know what I mean? Like Anyone who can like happy. reliably fire up Mardi Gras at any point, oh, you know, that's a pretty good gauge I reckon. Totally. I yeah. think she's fantastic. So that was really nice oh, to meet her. You've been powering through the interviews. You had some great ones for that um, US election series oh, too. Oh, yeah. That was um, awesome and Callum did a brilliant job um, producing that. I did, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, a three-part special for 7.30 looking at the US election, which was just reminded me like why I loved doing journalism in America because yeah. everyone – it's an amazing country and everyone speaks so incredibly articulately but it's also just breaking my heart at the moment watching what's going on. I felt on so – I actually felt really emotional when you went back to that guy, oh, the Philadelphia yeah. steel worker. Ohio. You, oh, yeah. Ohio was he, yeah, yeah. that you'd um, interviewed, what, 10 years ago? 16 early? years 16, ago. God, yeah, right, yeah. Of course, yeah, 16. Wow. I felt emotional seeing it because – so this guy I interviewed in 2004 when I was covering the 2004 presidential election campaign was a – Bob, his name was, was a steel worker in Ohio. And in that era, you know, the economy – towns that had been absolutely thriving and prosperous were starting Mm. to have problems because of globalisation and things being able to be made cheaper in other countries. And so life for Bob was not as good as what it had been, you know, in 2004 I'm talking about, was not as good as what it had been 10 years earlier or 20 years earlier. And so we went back to see him. Now he's retired and he's in his 60s and, you know, life has not gotten easier. Mm. And um, for people, you know, a generation or two generations younger than Bob in that town, things are not... um, brilliant but it was just we got the archive out and so there's you know young me doing a piece to Cameron there's young Bob and it just it was quite sort of I found it quite affecting to look at it as well um so anyway I um I don't know I love America so it's just it's making me really sad actually all of what's going on over there and this will come out after the um (laughs) after the election so what will come out after the election? This podcast. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Actually, yeah, so these will come out after the election, so you'd be wondering why we're not talking about American politics. It's because we got super organised and like... Well, to... I just think things are going to get really busy, so I felt like yeah. if we didn't do it this week that we might not be able to um, have time So while you're listening, it. just take yourself back to yeah, a, a right. pre-US election. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the, the riots haven't happened the yet. the yeah. burnt down. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, God. Um, um, yeah. I read a really fascinating book. It's this book called Here is the Beehive um, by a woman called Sarah Crossan, billed on the front as one of our most original writers by John Boyne. I've not heard of her at all. Anyway, it is this novel about a woman who's been having an affair with a bloke Mm -hmm. for a number of years. She's married. Oh, no, she's not married. He's married. Um... And he suddenly dies. And I'm not giving anything away. It happens right up front. Yep. And the whole novel is her coming to terms with grieving somebody who nobody knew that That she had a relationship with. It's very, very – and the weird thing about the book 
is that it is written all in verse. Oh, do you know what? I was no, going to ask you, could I have it? And then as soon as you've said that, no, no, it's no, put no, me no. But that's the thing. I thought, oh no, and you just do not notice. It's not like rhyming verse. It is really, really engaging, surprisingly, and not just like, oh, it's engaging for a book that has the affectation of being written in verse. You really do not notice it, right? even on page one. Okay. Well, I might give that a try then. I'm just Googling just... to find out a book. Uh, there's a wonderful Australian writer who died, you might know the name, um, a few years back now, and she wrote like all sorts of stuff in verse, murder mysteries, and I really like her. Oh. Is it um, the, Dorothy's the name that's coming to me, but, oh, I feel terrible. Or Hewitt. It, no, no, I think her surname might be Porter. Um, Porter, yeah. Um, oh, God, I feel terrible because she's super famous. Um, yeah, that's Dorothy Porter. Dorothy Porter, yeah, that's exactly right. Dorothy Porter. The Monkey's Mask is the book I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, it's a thriller and it's really brilliantly done and uh, I loved it. And also, as you know, I'm a big fan of Kate Kennedy, the poet, and she, her um, poetry has a sort of narrative Yeah, um, but this, this book is a, like it is a novel. It's okay. just – and I'm absolutely fascinated by how – because I, like you, just thought, all right, oh, I'll give this a go. And it's – Absolutely gripping, okay. and Give it a go. the style actually lends itself to what this character is doing, which is living in her own mind, remembering fragments, and she also kind of comes across in a professional capacity the wife of this oh, guy. Oh, great! Okay, so it is completely gripping. Did you have a preference for out of here is the beehive and sorrow and bliss? I love them both. Okay, All yeah. Right. Um, hey, can I, before we run out of time, just do a quick yeah. shout out to a couple of things. I read Watsonia, which is a compilation of um, or a compendium of Don Watson's writings. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen that. Across all sorts of things about America and politics yep. and blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, it just reminded me what a just great writer he is. Yeah, he's genius. Yeah, really, really lovely writer. And it also reminded me I've never read Recollections of a Bleeding Heart. Oh, right. Yeah, which I'd better get into. Um, and also I read Mayflies by Andrew O'Hagan, which oh, I should say okay. I read half of it actually and then I I think I've got that somewhere. Oh, you abandoned. Yeah, look, Andrew O'Hagan, so I saw him deliver the opening night address at the Sydney Writers yep. Festival. It feels like five minutes ago. It was probably yep. ten years ago. Yep. And I loved it and I loved him so much. I've always wanted to like his books more than I do, but frankly – all of his stuff that I've read, I just haven't really got into and I've not really liked it. So Mayflies is the tale of um, – it's sort of actually based on – it's it's a novel but it is based on his own experience yeah. and his best friend from childhood dying in his early 50s. And uh, so it's sort of – the first half that I read was about their youth and kicking around together um, and then the back half is about when he's diagnosed with cancer and what happens after that. I – I sort of lost interest before it gets to them being adults, which is possibly a shame because one of my friends said to me... Um, That's that, when it really kicks yeah. in. Yeah. But it just, it read to me like a book by a bloke for blokes. It was too blokey for me. Oh, right. And okay. so I gave it to a bloke. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> How efficient of you. Passed it on to a bloke. <laughs> yeah. So, but I have heard great things about it and people did really like it. But I also, I just, I don't know if my reading at the moment is 
fair and if I'm giving a fair assessment of things because I feel like coronavirus and I'm rushed and I can't concentrate very well and so I don't know if I'm giving things a fair go. That's okay. I mean, you know, anyone you've kicked to the curb, I'm sure will find (laughs) an admirer elsewhere. Um, I've been reading a book um, that I'll briefly mention because I helped to launch it. It's a great book um, called The Smart Wife. I think that the authors who are two um, academics, Melbourne academics, um, they've done this amazing deep dive into personal assistance and asked all these questions like, why are they always female? Ah. And they've done this complete like investigation of everything from Siri to sex bots. It's so oh, fascinating. And they kind of poke around in all of these ethical questions like the guy who built a sex bot that resembled Scarlett Johansson because he was so obsessed with her, it cost him $50,000 mm. and now he's got a functioning Sarah Je- um, Scarlett. Scarlett Johansson to have sex with. Like, what? Oh, my God. Anyway, it's a really interesting book, very eye-opening and um, great fun. Lots of little nuggets of information imagine by Yolanda built- Strengers and Jenny Kennedy. Imagine if you built the Lee Sales sex spot. It would just shut down at 9 o'clock. It would. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have but to it shag would, it would tidy up first. <laughs> Bloody hell, it would tidy up. I don't th- I'd be too frightened to have you as my – you'd be so judgy. Like if I exposed you to all the mess of my personal life, you'd be like, what? You still haven't put those things away? No, I still haven't. Um, One more thing that I was going to mention that um, is a bit of a lovely COVID era thing. The ABC's got this new podcast um, called Days Like These. And it's a kind of, it's a bit like This American Life, but Australian stories. Yeah. And the opening one is an absolute cracker. So they are, beautiful little moments and stories and fascinating bizarre adventures that humans have and um it's kind of good for the times heartwarming like compelling loved it good all right all right okay toots well i'll see you after the american election oh my god all right i've dug out my dugout (laughs) we're ready to go